podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 13th of May, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com. And our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. Virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix if you're outside the US, access Now TV if your package won't work because of Brexit or whatever, and you're outside the UK. Keeps your data safe online. That's the most important thing. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN and you'll get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. That's a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out HomeofHopcroft.co.uk. Another twist and turn in the battle for top four. Arsenal beating Chelsea last night. 1-0 at the bridge. I thought... I thought Arsenal deserved the victory. Now, Chelsea did have some chances in the game. Kai Havertz missed one good chance. Chelsea had a goal disallowed for offside. Arsenal didn't actually create their own chance that led to the goal. Jorginho did all the hard work for them, blindly playing a back pass, which Kepa had taken an angle to receive. Jorginho played it towards the centre of the goal. Kepa did brilliantly to actually keep it out. But it fell to Aubameyang, who fed Smith Rowe, and his scuffed left-footed shot went in off the post. But Arsenal defended really, really well in this game. Arsenal were very compact, very disciplined. This was like watching Arsenal when Arteta first took over, when they would play big teams, and they would set back, deep block, and then try and spring the counter, use Aubameyang as kind of a focal point in their build-up play. They did it last night. It worked to an extent. I thought they were very disciplined. For Chelsea, though, it's it's a difficult one because now they play Leicester next. They obviously have the FA Cup final at the weekend. Then those two teams play again in the league. Now, at the moment, Leicester are on 66 points. Chelsea are on 64. One of them will drop points in that game. So if it is that Chelsea win, well, they'll be on 67 and they have Aston Villa away. Final day of the season with fans back in Villa Park. That's going to be a difficult game. Leicester, if they win, they'll be on 69 points. And then they have Tottenham at home. Final day of the season. Tough game, but again, they'll have fans back too. So that should give them a bit of a boost. But it is Brendan Rodgers. It is pressure, so you just don't know. If the game ends in a draw, Chelsea will be on 65, then with a maximum points total of 68. Leicester will be on 67 with a maximum points total of 70. Liverpool are on 57 with four games left to play. Now, they play United tonight. That one is huge. 
They need to get a result there. Even a draw will help them. They can win their last three games. West Brom, Burnley and Crystal Palace. They do have an outside chance at top four. Not a big chance, but they do have an outside chance. It is in their own hands. If they were to win out, they will get top four. They will get top four. Their goal difference will go above and beyond what Leicester City's will be or what Chelsea's will be. If Leicester beat Chelsea, Liverpool have a higher potential points tally if they beat United. If uh, Chelsea beat Leicester, Liverpool will rely on goal difference. But either way, they do still have a chance. West West Ham have a chance, but they need Chelsea to lose one, actually to lose both really, but ideally to lose one and draw one. They could do it if Chelsea won one of their games, but they would need to rack up a big, big goal difference. Chelsea are 12 goals better off than them at the moment. Ideally, West Ham need Chelsea to not win either of their last two games, or Leicester. Either one, and they need to win their last three. Now, they have a favourable enough run-in as well. West Ham's next game is Brighton away, then they've got West Brom away, and then Southampton at home. All three games are winnable. And the pressure's kind of off them now, so you would hope that we see more of the West Ham that we saw for the majority of the season, rather than the West Ham that's sort of turned up into big games and frozen. And David Moyes has choked a little bit in bigger games. Liverpool, United, Everton at the weekend. He hasn't gotten things right in those games. When the pressure's been off them, because remember, they're playing with house money. No one expected them to be challenging for Europe. The book on them was that they were going to battle against relegation and that they would, if things went well for them, they would survive. But Moyes has turned things around completely. Without the pressure, I think a lack of fans has actually helped West Ham. I think it's helped Moyes. And hopefully they'll be able to carry that momentum on. I don't think they have a chance, really. Liverpool have an outside chance, a slim chance. If they were to draw with United and win their last three, what they're then relying on is either Leicester to beat Chelsea, in which case Chelsea's maximum points tally will be 67, or... Chelsea to beat Leicester and then Leicester to fail to beat Spurs. So either defeat or a draw, in which case Liverpool can sneak in 67 points. Leicester would have either 66 or 67. And you would imagine Liverpool will have a superior goal difference because they would have won three games, whereas uh, Leicester will have lost one and drawn one. So in all likelihood, their goal difference will drop by at least one, probably two. And Liverpool's would then be one behind them with three wins. They'd be at least two up on them. So it's a slim chance. It's not a big chance, but it is there. Uh, Liverpool play Manchester United tonight. That's the uh, 8.45, sorry, 8.15 kickoff. Before that, Aston Villa versus Everton. Those two teams played a couple of weeks ago. Villa won at Goodison. I think Everton win tonight at Villa Park. Everton's away form has been great. They've won 11 games on the road. They're one of the better teams in the league away from home, and I think they will win tonight. I think Liverpool United screams of a draw, if I'm being honest. I think it screams of a draw. Liverpool have major defensive issues. Quebec has joined Van Dijk. 
um, Matip and Joe Gomez on the sidelines. Uh, Jordan Henderson has been ruled out for the season. So seven weeks after, or six weeks rather, six weeks, I think, I think five games after the time he was meant to be back. So he was meant to come back for Arsenal away. When he got hurt, that's what Jurgen Klopp said. He'll be back after the international break. Arsenal away was like April 3rd or April 4th. We're now here in the middle of May, and they're finally ruling Jordan Henderson out for the, this, the rest of the season. And not just the rest of the season, there's a chance he'll miss the Euros. So whatever that injury is, it's not good. And when you consider that over the last couple of seasons, Henderson has just missed a lot of games. Over the last three seasons, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has missed 70 games. That's 46% of Liverpool's games. Naby Keita has missed 40. That's 26%. Henderson has missed 38. And he's going to miss another four, so that will be 42. Naby could well be back for the weekend. So by the end of this season, Jordan Henderson may well have missed more games than the constantly injured Naby Keita. James Milner has missed 27. He's probably going to miss tonight. That'll be 28. And on the flip side, Ginny Wijnaldum's only missed four. And people worry. Uh, people wonder why Klopp loves him. People wonder why he looks so tired. The guy is always fit, always available, and he always plays. Liverpool have had some bad luck with injuries. Bad, bad luck with injuries. Right, enough of that. It is question time. So we're going to jump in to the questions. Uh, if I can pull them up here. Okay. So first question is from... Right, I saw this one come in and I read it wrong. So this is from Tony MA 91 What he asked was an all-time Liverpool team, but based on the alphabet game. So... Goalkeeper A, right back B, centre back C, etc. I missed the Liverpool part, so I started putting this together, and I'm just going to go with it. I will do the Liverpool one another day, but for today, uh, I'm going to go. So you can pick sir, first name or surname according to Tony. So that's fine with me. I'm going to go Andoni Zubizarreta, A. Frandoni in goal, great goalkeeper for Barcelona and Spain, won a European Cup. Played in four World Cups, three European Championships, won six league titles, two with Athletic Bilbao and four with Barcelona. Great goalkeeper. I'll go with him. At right back, Giuseppe Bergami, B for Bergami, one of the best defenders of all time. Inter Milan legend, played his entire career there. 519 Serie A appearances, 756 all time for, uh, for Inter. 81 caps for Italy, won a World Cup, won Serie A, won three uh, UEFA Cups. He's my right back. Fabio Cannavaro, C for Cannavaro, centre-back, World Cup winner, Dynamo centre-back, European Footballer of the Year, incredible defender from Parma, to you, well, he went to Inter Milan. It didn't work. Went to Juve was incredible. The the Buffon Cannavaro Turam triangle 
whether Turan was right back and Cannavaro was right centre back, or the two boys were in the centre of the centre of the defence, they were just phenomenal. So I'll go for him. Uh, Marcel Desailly is my other centre back. Marseille, AC Milan, Chelsea. Obviously, an incredible career with France. 116 caps, won a World Cup, won the European Cup with um, with Marseille. Back-to-back Serie A titles with AC Milan. Part of that incredible Milan team that then won the UEFA Cup in 94. Uh, that is, to me, he, he was sensational. Defensive midfield or centre-back, he was world-class in both. So uh, he, he makes it. I've cheated a little bit. E, e is for Edgar, Edgar Davids at left-back. Now, he didn't play most of his career there, but he did play as an emergency left-back on a number of occasions. Ajax, Champions League. Milan, one season, not great, but did okay. Juventus legend, played well for Spurs. Back to Ajax was Crystal Palace and Barnett. Great for the Netherlands. Obviously walked out of the uh, the 96 European Championships quite infamously. Tremendous player. One of the best midfield players in the world at his best, but could play left back in a pinch. So I've gone for him. I've gone for a box midfield. On the right-hand side of a box midfield, I'm going for Frank Lamp- uh, Frank Frank Lampard, Frank Rijkaard in the deeper uh, deeper of the two positions. Ajax, Champions League, um, late in his career. Before that, he'd obviously been at Milan and won everything, multiple European Cups. Before that, he spent a little bit of time at Sporting. No one really knew why. Uh, and he was at Ajax then to begin his career. Obviously, legend for the Netherlands as well. Part of the Netherlands team that won the European Championships in 1988. Just an incredible player. Absolutely incredible. Three European Cups to his name. You know, there's not many on that list. Uh, in front of him, on the right-hand side, his best mate, his longtime teammate, Ruud Hullet. Milan, Sampdoria, Chelsea, obviously Feyenoord and PS, uh, PSV Eindhoven early in his career, but became really well-known at Milan, Sampdoria. And then Chelsea, legend for the Netherlands, an incredible player. One of the greatest athletes ever to play the game. Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And when he rocked into the Premier League in 1995 at the age of 33, had a look around and thought, I'm the best player on every pitch I walk onto. And played like it, just carried himself with a natural arrogance. On the left-hand side of the box, in the deeper role, Hernanes, the great Brazilian midfielder from 2005 all the way through to playing right now with Sao Paulo. Uh, he was at Lazio. He was fantastic. He played for Juve, uh, for Inter. He was really good there. Didn't work for him at, at Juve, but his time at Lazio and his first spell at Sao Paulo were incredible. Never got the international recognition he deserved. Only 27 caps. But this guy could ping any pass with either foot. Just tremendous. Absolutely tremendous footballer. In front of him, Andreas Iniesta. Um... There's nothing really to say. One of the greatest midfielders the game has ever seen. Won everything with Barcelona. Won everything with Spain. Part of arguably the best club side and arguably the best international side of all time. Part of arguably the best midfield of all time. Tremendous. Well, I don't know what you can say. Still doing it in Japan for Vissel Kobe. 
I don't know what more there is to say. One of the best players I've ever seen. Um, up front then, J. Johan Cruyff. I mean, do I need to say any more? He's one of the greatest players of all time. He changed the game in ways very few will um, as both a player and a manager. Now, I am cheating a little bit because his first name was Hendrick. Uh, you know, but he had good choice in first names. Uh, but, um, yeah, Ajax, Barca, and then he just kind of drifted around. But phenomenal for, for club, phenomenal for the Netherlands. Yeah, Johan Cruyff is a no-brainer. And then K, Kylian Mbappe. You know, I think he's probably a top five player in the world right now. So I'll go with him. Uh, I think he's going to go on and do incredible things. He's already won World, won World Cup. I think he's going to win two or three. He'll win multiple Champions Leagues. He'll win a whole bunch of Ballon d'Ors. He's just a phenomenal talent. And then um, I picked a manager as well. So I'm on L. I'll go Marcelo Lippi. Juventus was where he became best known. Managed an incredible team there. Managed Inter for a year. Didn't work all that well. Went back to Juve. Got the Italian job. Won the World Cup. Uh, this is a man who won... Five Serie A titles, one Coppa Italia, a Champions League, and a World Cup. He gets my vote. Uh, I'll take Marcelo Lippi in his Armani suits with his cigar to manage that group of players. So that's that question. Uh, I will get. I will do a Liverpool one at some point, but I I read it wrong and I started putting it together, um, and unfortunately I, I I read it wrong. Um, from Raj Chohan. Why do you think Antonio Conte has struggled to replicate his domestic success in the Champions League during his career so far? And what do you think he can do to change that next season with Inter? I don't know. It's really, really strange how poor Conte has done in the Champions League. Multiple group exits. Now, last season, at least in the Europa League, he got to a final. And I do wonder if he'd managed to win that. Would it have been a springboard for success in the Champions League this year. I think a big part of it is he's not a big one for rotation. So he does generally, generally focus in on the league. The league is what he wants to win every season. And I mean, three league titles with Juve, one with Chelsea, one now with Inter. It does work for him. That's in, what, 10 years? Um, it does work for him. But I genuinely don't know whether he's too dogmatic with his tactics whether some of the I mean Conte gets an awful lot out of players and his his system will carry a couple of fairly average players as long as they work hard and you can see that in in his current Inter team you could see at Chelsea I mean he very average wing backs at Chelsea a couple of average centre backs but because of the system and because of how solid he makes them, it does work. But I think at the at the Champions League level, maybe teams just expose those players a little bit. I genuinely don't know. I think he needs to be a little bit more flexible. Maybe, maybe just be a bit more attack minded. One of the problems for Conte is that his he is a defensive coach, so he does set his team up to play a certain way and try and win, by certain scorelines, one nil, two one. If you can get early goals against them and they have to open up, that's where you start to expose the lesser players in his teams. 
I think I don't know what the actual reason is though. Um Right, Owen Hurley, what did Gags think of the League of Pundits idea? I don't think I mentioned it to him. I must mention it to him. Uh, in my head, it was a, a league of the top 10 from TV, radio, and top 10 football writers. I must, I'll, I'll talk to him about this. I will talk to him about this. Um, thoughts on the Benelux League amal amalgamations? I really like it. I do. I think it's going to be really good. I think it'll create more competition. I think it will see the strengthening of the likes of Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV, Anderlecht, Standard Liège, Club Bruges, and hopefully we'll see them, with more money in their pockets, be able to keep hold of their players a little bit longer, be able to buy more players, and start to compete strongly in Europe again. I know Ajax have, and Ajax traditionally do, but the others, less so. PSV Eindhoven, when you drew them in the, in the Champions League back in the day, in, in the 90s and 2000s, you didn't want them. They were dangerous. They always had very, very dangerous teams. That's become a little less so in the, in the last while. Hopefully we see a return to that. Um, think it's something other regions could do. An Iberian League would be class. Yes, an Iberian League would be great. I think if you could see Porto, Sporting and you know Benfica go into La Liga, I think Benfica with their profile, with their size, with their fan base, with that La Liga money in their pocket, they could really start to become a European force. Like people, I think, underestimate just what a massive club Benfica are. They've always, unfortunately, because there's not a whole bunch of money in Portuguese TV, Benfica tend to, well, it's, it's their own fault. They tend to live outside their means. But I do think if they had real money behind them, from the TV side of things, I do think they'd be very competitive. I think in time they could really push Barca and Real on a consistent basis. Porto, huge club obviously, but not as big. Porto, I think, could do well. Sporting would be the one that might suffer because they go from being, I mean, they're, they're league champions this year, but they are the third club. They'd be the sixth club in an Iberian league. But I do think it will be fun. What other leagues, what other countries could do it? I think, um, I think it would be beneficial if Sweden, Norway, and Denmark did a league together. Um, I think that would work quite well. This one would never work because of the historical connotations, but a Greek Turkish league would be would be very interesting. Like Olympiakos have really dominated Greek football. AK Athens have done well and won a couple of titles, but Olympiakos have really dominated it for the past forty years or so. Whereas if you put them in a league with Fenerbahce and Galatasaray and Besiktas, then I think that that becomes really interesting. I, I think that would be a fun one. But it, that is one that I just don't see happening because of... Uh, outside of that, I'd love to see um, the MLS and Liga MX merge. I really would. Because I think Liga MX is one of the most underrated leagues in, in the world. I think it's fantastic. The calibre of football is great. Uh, we're seeing every so often a, a good European player 
head over because there is some money in the league. And uh, they generally dominate the MLS teams in their Champions League. So uh, I'd be interested to see if they were in the league, would the MLS league teams have to raise their game? Would there be more money put into the league? And I, I think that could be interesting. Um, Adam Hanlon, you're Daniel Farka and you're tasked with getting Norwich equipped for their return to the Premier League. What signings do you make to ensure they don't have a repeat of their relegation season? I think the first thing you need to address, you need to get a centre-back. Last time they were up, their defence league goals, they lost Ben Godfrey. I think they're going to suffer similar problems. I would be getting on to Chelsea and asking for Mark Wehi on loan. I think he is a very, very talented defender. I probably butchered his name, but he is a very talented defender. He's looked really good with Swansea the last two seasons. I think he could plug that hole uh, quite well. Ideally, I would want two centre-backs, and I'd probably ring Spurs about Jaffa Tanganga and try and get him in. Get him in on loan as well. I think you could put the two of them together. I think they could be... If given a preseason, I think they could develop a good partnership. I think the styles would work quite well together. They've got great athleticism, good pace, both explosive athletes. I think those two could form a good partnership there. Um, I would probably want one in midfield. Now, this is where I think I'd buy. I think if the money is there, now, and I don't know what money will be there. I'd try and get Conor Gallagher from Chelsea on a permanent deal. If you get him for somewhere in the 12 to 15 million pound range, I think his box-to-box ability, that motor that he has, that tenacity he has, he's, he's a clever user of the ball, I would go for him. And I think a goal scorer. Because I don't know that you can rely on Timo Pukki for a whole Premier League season. We saw the last time he started really well and then just sort of burnt out. No support. Eddie Nketiah, Arsenal. Super talented. Born goal scorer. One year left on his contract. Worst case scenario, buy him. You'll get your money back in 12 months if you go back down. I think Eddie Nketiah would be a very, very good signing. But it all depends on budget. That's the problem for them. If they're going to spend 30 to 40 million, absolutely they can do this. If they're going to spend five like they did the last time, pack up now. Save yourself the hassle of losing every week. You can't come up and be cheap in the Premier League. You just can't. You can be cheap if you've already established yourself and you've got a team full of Premier League players. Norwich don't. Norwich don't have a team of Premier League caliber players. Um, And he asked another question there. Thoughts on rumours Liverpool have to sell a big name to buy big? I don't believe them. And I think they've come from Kevin Palmer and I wouldn't believe him if he told me the sky was blue. Um, Vinyl Maniac, uh, how about these? Rodrigo De Paul or Lorenzo Pellegrini? I, I would take Lorenzo Pellegrini. Much better all-round player, a team player, fits how Liverpool play, doesn't need the game to run through him to have a big impact on it, without question. Um, 
Sander Berger or Yves Basima. Um, I like both. Berger's coming off a bad injury, a bad ankle injury. Just missed, cost him to miss four months. So I'd probably go Basima from that aspect. If the money is the same, I'd go Basima. If Berger is ten million cheaper, I'd go for him. I'm is is this meant to be Mings versus Watkins? In which case, it's anybody over Mings. It's Ollie Watkins all day. Um, MTUSA, you're going to be stuck on a desert island and you can bring with you recordings of three Liverpool games, three other club games and three international games. What are you picking? Right, I'm taking Istanbul for, for obvious reasons. I'm taking the second leg of the Champions League semi-final against Barcelona for obvious reasons. And I'm taking Liverpool versus Arsenal at Anfield in the 2013-14 season, which I still think is the best I've ever seen Liverpool play. Luis Suarez was absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely bananas that day. And his shot that hit the post is, if it goes in, it's maybe the greatest goal Liverpool have ever scored. Like that, to touch and shoot from there with kind of his back almost to the goal was just ridiculous. Um, I, I think that is the game I would have to go with. They were Liverpool were just disgustingly good on the day. Five one. Skirtle gets two, Sterling gets two, and Sturridge gets one. Coutinho was unbelievable. Suarez was uh, just out of his mind on the day. They'd just beaten Everton 4-0 like 10 days previously. Um, Unfortunately, they did draw West Brom in the game in between, and that is part of what contributed to them not winning the title. If they had beaten West Brom, uh, they would have ended up leveling points with Man City, and obviously there was a couple of other games they threw away in that run, such as Liverpool 2, Aston Villa 2, uh, Crystal Palace 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. Um, right. Other games then. Um, international games. Ireland won, Netherlands nil, September 2001. McAteer scored the winner. It's the greatest performance Roy Keane ever put put in in an Irish shirt. Phenomenal display. So that would be in. I will take France versus Brazil in the 2006 World Cup. Uh, the quarterfinal. Brazil, uh, France won 1-0. Henri scored the winner. Zidane was, I mean, when I say ridiculous, I mean ridiculous. This was the third last game of his career, and he was just on a different planet to everyone else on the pitch. So I'll say that one. And then Russia versus Germany in the 1996 European Championships. That German team is my favorite international team of all time. That 3-5-2 with Zammer as a sweeper. It was it is to this day it's still one of the most tactically advanced teams I've ever seen. It was just ridiculous how flexible it was. Kopka was in goal. 
Stefan Reuter was playing right wing back. Christian Ziga was left wing back. Marcus Babel and Thomas Helmer were the two outside centre-backs and Zammer was the sweeper. Dieter Els played in centre midfield next to Thomas Hassler. Andreas Muller played as a 10. Klinsmann and Oli Bierhoff played up front. And what you would often see is Hassler would move forward and Els would swap. So instead of having a 2-1 in the centre, you'd end up with a 1-2. Zammer would often set into midfield and, and play next to Els and you'd end up with a box midfield and a flat back four because the two wing backs would drop back. Sometimes the two wingers or the two wing backs would push on and become wingers and you'd end up with something resembling uh, Reuter, Muller, Hassler, Ziga across with Els dropping back in next to Zammer. Those two forming the centre-back pairing and Babel and Helmer who were both comfortable at full-back stepping out and you'd go 4-4-2. They could adapt to anything. In-game, Bertie Vokes would have that team shift shape four or five times with the same personnel, and it worked flawlessly. That team were brilliant, and that day, they destroyed that Russian team. They beat them 3-0. It really could have been six or seven. Zammer scored the first. Klinsman got two. They'd missed a bunch of chances in the first half. That's the one I would go with. Uh, that, to me, they were just brilliant that day. So those would be my three international games. And then other clubs. Other club games. I'll take I'll take Arsenal United, the tunnel game. What was that? Was that February 2005, maybe? United won 4-2 at Highbury. It was just a proper physical battle. Just a proper war of a game. Great football being played. United went down to 10 men, still managed to win 4-2 against their big, biggest rivals. That was just a great game of football. So I'll take that one. I'll take the 1994 Champions League final, AC Milan just annihilating Barcelona. I'll take Redondo's crowning glory. AC Milan... Uh, Manchester United 2, Real Madrid Madrid, ugh, Real Madrid 3 at Old Trafford in the Champions League quarterfinal. Redondo absolutely wiped the floor with United on the day. Uh, I'll go with that one. Those would be my games. Okay, um, if Tottenham don't make... Oh, this is from Vinyl Maniac again. If Tottenham don't make Euro football, do you think Kane moves... If so, where and at what price? The problem is the price. I mean, Spurs aren't going to let him go cheap. He's got a long contract. He's still in his prime. He's still banging in 20-plus goals a season. They're going to want $150 million for him. So that limits who can afford him. Real are broke this summer. Barca are broke. Juve are broke. Bayern won't spend that type of money. So that rules out those three leagues. PSG could afford him, but does he want to go play in League 1? Maybe he does. And it might suit him because it would be less stressful on his ankle. Um, in the Premier League, the two Manchester clubs, one Manchester club could afford him in, in City. Technically, United could as well, but the Glazers don't spend that type of money on players. Maybe he could go to City. 
but I, I think you're talking a ridiculous transfer fee, like like up up on the hundred and fifty million. I just don't, unless they have some sort of agreement with him. I just don't see Daniel Levy giving in to the pressure, and I don't see Kane has been the one to make a big scene about it. He's taught him through and through, so I, I don't think he will leave. If I'm honest, I don't think he will leave. Uh, Theo Saki, do you think Brighton would take? Cash plus Origi for for Basuma. Uh, I think they'd be foolish to take Origi. I wouldn't touch Origi with a barge pole. Uh, Mr. Feeling All Right asks the same question as as Vinyl Maniac. Where do you think Kane ends up this summer? And what where do you think he should go, if anywhere? I think he should stay. I genuinely do. I don't think Spurs are as far away as some people do. I, I think that's a there's, a... there's the basis of something really good at Spurs. If you look at... Let's just say a four-two-three-one. Regulon's a really good left back, right? You've got Sessegnon can be his backup. You've got Doherty who can be a backup right back. Sell Aurier. They do need two starting centre backs, and that is an issue. That is an issue, and they need a starting right back and a starting goalkeeper. But that's four players. They've got squad depth behind those players in midfield. Heusberg and Endembele, I think, is really good. They've got Winks, they've got Lacelso, they've got Sissoko. I wouldn't touch that. I think that's fine. You've got Ali behind Kane. You've got Son on a wing. You've got Lamella. You've got Bergvine. You've got Mora. I think a winger. Yeah, to be fair, they need they need five starters. No, forget what I said. Um, I still think he should stay. I still think he should stay. Um. FC Molman, what's your opinion on Jamie Carragher as a player compared to other English centre-backs of his generation? And what's your opinion of him since he joined the media side? As a player, he was good, not great. At times, he was very good. He had a run probably from about 05 to 08 where he was very good. Other than that, I think he was a good centre-back. I think read the game well, good fundamentals. Would have been badly exposed in a high line, was limited in what he could do, very limited on the ball as well. Called himself a great passer. Absolutely not. Uh, had that famous Carragher hop where he would do a little kind of hop and then he would clip a ball aimlessly towards Andy Carroll's head. Um, good, not great. N- Terry and Ferdinand are the two of the most overrated centre-backs of all time. Both were better than Carragher. Woodgate was better than him. King was substantially better than him. Campbell was substantially better than him. If that's his generation, he's at the bottom of that list. But he was he was a, a good player who gave Liverpool great service and did have a run where he was very, very good. And at times great. But a good player, not a great player. Um, As a pundit, I mean, I, I don't like him. I, I don't. I think he I think he rode Neville's coattails for a few years when Neville was good, um, which he, I, I don't think Neville is anymore. Neville doesn't have time. When Neville was a pundit first, it was Neville's sole focus, and I thought he was great. Now he's got his hotel business. He's got a restaurant, I believe. He's got a football club he owns. I don't think Neville has the time to dedicate to the craft anymore. 
And I don't think Carragher's... There's, there's times you can see he's very well prepared. He did a piece recently on Thomas Tuchel's defensive structure, which was good. But he clearly had time prepared. And he clearly had a couple of people helping with it. So there's times he's good, but overall I think he's poor. And as a commentator, he's dreadful. As a live commentator, he's awful. Um, both of them are both of them are bad commentators. Neville used to be great in the studio again when he had time to prepare. Carragher, when he has time to prepare and puts together something with obviously some help, he he's good at that. But immediate analysis of a game largely dreadful. Uh, his eye for players is shocking, and his bias towards British players is shocking. That reminds me. Between Sky Sports and the Daily Mail, 10 different people put out their teams of the year. None of them picked Mo Salah. One of them picked Young Min Son. Seven picked Phil Foden. I think two or three picked Jack Grealish, who hasn't played in three months. Phil Foden will finish this season having played less than half Manchester City's Premier League minutes. Salah has scored 20-plus goals. Son is double figures, goals and assists. How are these two not on your teams? It's bias to force in British players. No other reason. Um, Callum, uh, Callum Perry asks, how many new players would each top six side plus Leicester and Everton need in order to really compete for the Premier League next season as title challengers? Um, I would say City... City need one, I think, one. One wide attacker who can score you a bunch of goals. Or Yarzabal would solve a major problem for them. I think he I think he finishes them off. I think he's that's that's all you need. For United um to be title challengers. Three. Starting centre back. Starting holding midfielder. And a different type of right back for games against the bottom part, the bottom half of the league. Wan-Bissaka is fine in your bigger games where you want to be more compact and tight. But I, I think you need a more attack-minded presence in certain games. Not So not, not necessarily in every game starting right back, but someone that can rotate with him. Their biggest issue is the, is the manager. He, he's not going to win your Premier League title. Um, Chelsea, you could probably challenge the title with Mendy. Um, they need two centre-backs. Definitely a left-sided one. And I, I would want one more. So I'd say two starting centre-backs. Wing-backs are fine. They've got decent depth. They've got good options up front. If Abraham and Giroud leave, they'll need a, a, a striker off the bench. But I do want to see Kai Havertz continue to play as a false nine. So that would be three. And a holding midfielder would be four. So I'd say four. That's, that's squad-wise. Three starters, four for the squad. For Leicester... Um, One more up front for depth. I don't think you can just rely on Ian Acho and Vardy, so one more there. 
Um, they're getting Bubakari Samari so by the looks thing. So we won't count him, but although you could say he's two. Someone to start off the right. Barnes is brilliant off the left. Someone to start off the right. And I think a left-footed left-back is a must. So I would say four for Leicester, including Samari. I would say four. Um, Liverpool. Centre-back. And nine. I think Liverpool needs six players. I said this before. I think they need six. They need a backup goalkeeper, a starting centre back, a backup right back. This is this is just based on Matip and Gomez staying fit, which I know is unlikely. But I still want a starting centre back next to Virgil. Then those two are the backups. You've got Trent. You need a backup. You've got Robbo. You've got Simicus. You need a backup goalkeeper, backup right back, starting centre back. In midfield, you've got Thiago and Fabinho. And I'd want someone in that midfield who can add more and attack. Pellegrini does really seem like a nice one. But Milinkovic-Savage would probably be my choice because you can then flip to a 4-2-3-1. I think he'd be brilliant. They either need a nine or Salah to move central and buy someone to play off the right. And then I want one more depth attacker. So that's six, isn't it? Yeah, that's six. I think six. Um, but you, you get away without the depth attacker and you probably get away with it the backup goalkeeper. I still think you need a backup right back, starting centre-back, starting midfielder, and a starting attacker. So four. Um, Everton. Goalkeeper, for sure. Right back, for sure. I like Holgate. I like Godfrey. I like Dina. Michael Keane's okay. Mina's okay. So that's fine. Uh, they brought that in Kunku Kids. They're fine at left back. Coleman's a ground back up right back. Starting goalkeeper, starting right back. One in midfield to go with Ducure and Alan. And depth up front. Three starters. Goalkeeper, right back, midfield. Creator in midfield. And wide depth, quality wide depth, because James injury prone, Richarlison suspension prone, and if he if if Calvert Lewin's out, he has to go central. So you need more quality. So I'd say three starters and a squad player. Now, even at that, their ceiling, like I'm talking when I say Liverpool need six, that's to be perfect. I'm talking about Everton needing four, probably just for Champions League. I mean, I, I don't know if they can win the league with, with what they have. I don't think you can win the league with Dekure. I don't think you can win the league with Holgate. And I like Holgate. I think he's the best defender at the club. Now, he's had an iffy season, but I put that largely down to the fact that he's been playing next to Michael Keane. But I think there's you could challenge the title up to a point. You could be in the mix till like February, March, and then fall off. I class that as some sort of a title challenge. But I think four, but three of them need to be starters for sure. Um, and then who am I missing? I'm missing Arsenal. Arsenal. Um, 
They need two goalkeepers because all the goalkeepers are awful. They need a starting right back. Cedric is a fine backup. Ben Bellerin. I just bring back Saliba Mavroponos. There you right side centre backs. Gabriel and Mari left side centre backs. You need a backup left back to Tierney. Um, Ryan Bertrand is leaving Southampton on a free. He'd be ideal. Um, so what's that? That's four. Uh, in midfield, I just bring back the players you already own, personally. You've got Tomas Partey. I would have Maitland-Niles as his backup. I would play Guendouzi or Torreira next to him with the other one as the backup. And then Joe Willock as your fifth centre midfielder. I think that's fine. I don't think you need to touch that. Uh, Willock can also be a backup 10. You've got Saka um, and Pepe for the right wing. Aubameyang and Martinelli for the left wing. Smithrow as your 10 with, with, with Willock as their backup. I think they need a striker as well. I, I would be selling Lacazette, bringing in whoever. Moussa Dembele is a rumour I do like. And then you've got Enketi if you can keep him and um, uh, following Balogun. And I keep Reese Nelson as well. So I think Arsenal probably need four starters, three starters, three starters and two backups. I think five. And I think, again, I don't know if it's a title-caliber team just yet, but I certainly think it will be in the, the top four um, with the right manager. Again, manager's the big issue for them. I, I just don't think I just don't think he's any good. Um, I, I did. I, I had promise for him. I, I had hopes for him, but no, he's not for me. Um, I suppose West Ham then is the other one. Goalkeeper for sure. Left-back for sure. I would want a centre-back as well to partner Issa Diop. So that's three starters. And I'd want a striker. So four. And then depth in midfield. Probably five, six. Probably six. Two depth midfield players. Oh, you'd be happy with what you have behind the striker. I think you need a striker. Two depth midfielders. A left-back centre-back and a goalkeeper. Six. Yeah. I don't think I've missed anybody. If I have, apologies. Oh, Spurs. I went through that earlier. They need five starters and a couple of backups. Um, Mikhail Campbell, if your favourite manager, Sean Dyche, picked an agricultural team of the year from the Premier League, who would be in that 11? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Right. Not that they've been agricultural, but Moisey is a bit of an agricultural manager. So I'm going to go with the from from teams managed by agricultural managers. So West Ham qualify because Moisey has been been agricultural for a lot of his career. Um, Palace obviously, Burnley obviously, Newcastle obviously, West Brom obviously. So that that's who I'm picking from. I would say Fabianski is a no-brainer. I would say, see, you can't pick Sufa because he's five foot seven. He's not an agricultural style of player, so it has to be a right back from one of the other one of the other clubs. Um, none of them have been particularly good. I'll go Maddie Lawton. Uh, I'll go Tarkovsky next to Craig Dawson as a centre back pairing. And my left back, 
I don't like any of the left backs, really. I'll go Tariq Mitchell, the young left back of Palace, who started the season before Van Anhol came back. He did really impress me. He really impressed me at the weekend as well. I'll go with him. Uh, in midfield, it's Declan Rice, a little bit agricultural. <laughs> he's a good player, but he's he's got a little bit of agriculture about him. I'll go him and Ashley Westwood as my midfield pairing. Um, hmm. I'll go Milojojevic as a third midfielder. Go four three three, and up front then you've got Antonio loves loves the battle. Um, you've got to have Chris Wood and Callum Wilson. Three big bundly fellas up front. Midfield just there for graft. Get get it long. Get it into the box. Them lads will do the rest. Uh, so that'll be that. Uh, Call Will Mamadra asks Trev Downey. Because I did ask the question partially in Irish. Uh, Tog the cat. Erostock. Your cat made him leave. <laughs> um... Enoch asks, honest views on Daniel Mallon and why would you take him or not take him? I take him. I love Daniel Mallon. I think he's a tremendously talented player. I don't know what his ceiling would be. I think it can be hard to translate from the Dutch league into the Premier League, but he's super talented. He's super versatile. Can play as a nine, can play on his own or in a two, can play off the left, can play just off a striker. I think Daniel Mallon would make a lot of sense for Liverpool. Um, as a as a, an, an attacking option, he wouldn't be the nine I'd want. I'd prefer someone like an En Naziri, uh, someone who can lead the line. But as an option player, Malam would be great. He is he is very very talented. Um, in your honest opinion, who are the five most naturally physical and athletically gifted players, and then who are the most naturally technical and intelligent players? Can I do this all time? I'm going to go all time. I would say naturally, physically and athletically gifted players, Cristiano, Rijkaard, Hollis, Weah, Drogba. Physically and athletically gifted. Freaks. Just ridiculous. Um, from a technical standpoint, Messi, Maradona, Zidane, Lothar Mateus, because you said intelligence as well, Mateus and Michael Laudrup. And I think the... It, it would depend on what sort of pitch it was on. If it's on a small, confined pitch, the athletic boys might just be able to overpower them. But on a big open field, I think that the technical ability would overcome. Um, most oh, Emmett, aka Emmett, most overrated Liverpool eleven in the Premier League era. David James in goal, great shot stopper, but just so so error prone. 
Like phenomenally airborne. Pepe Reina is worth a mention here. He had four good years at Liverpool and four bad years at Liverpool. And in the last three, he was utterly awful and could barely save a shot. Yet some people hold him up as some sort of great keeper and talk about his loyalty when he was twerking to try and get himself to Barcelona or Arsenal for a couple of years. But I would say David James, at right back, I mean, Glenn Johnson, no-brainer. He was awful and people think he was good. Uh, Lovren, even though, you know, he clearly wasn't good, there's still some people that will tell you he was. Nat Phillips, unfortunately, Nat Phillips now belongs in this team. I saw people yesterday, I saw people suggest that Nat Phillips reminded them of Sammy Hippia. I saw a fella say, Nat Phillips is a Tommy Smith type. These are some of the best players Liverpool have ever had. Other people suggested him as player of the season. He's played about 12 games. He's been bad in four or five of them. He hasn't put a foot wrong. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Nat Phillips. Next, Dejan. Uh, Jordan Henderson in midfield. No question. Oh, I haven't picked the left back. Um, John Anarisa. John Anarisa is a very overrated player. Jordan Henderson in midfield. Lucas Leiva in midfield. Neither of them nearly worthy of the accolades bestowed upon them. Um, Raul Morales. Because he had a really good purple patch for a couple of months. Aside from that, his season in Liverpool was quite disappointing. And yet people still held him up as if he was some mas- masterclass player. Um, up front. Oh, this is hard. Liverpool have had... From Fowler to Owen, Torres, Suarez. Liverpool have a great number nines. I think Origi became overrated after what he did in the 18-19 season. But it would be really harsh to include him. Yossi Benayoun is, is overrated by Liverpool fans. So I'll, I'll go with him as one of my front three. Um, Dean Saunders. I mean, Liverpool paid a lot of money for him. And he just wasn't very good for them. So I'll go with him. And then... I'll go with Heskey, right? And Heskey was really good to a certain point. And then he fell off a cliff. And people overlook his last few years at Liverpool and how bad he was. Because he did have a couple of good years early on. I think Emil Heskey was underrated and has now become overrated in hindsight. Like, if you look back at his career... He joins Liverpool halfway through the um, 99-2000 season. He was really good his first full season. Liverpool won the treble. He had a good second season. And he did not play well his third and fourth seasons. He scored 
a, a decent amount of goals in his fourth season, but he was not playing well. Liverpool sold him on to Birmingham, and his career sort of fell apart. Um, after the 2004-2005 season, he never scored more than eight goals in, in a season, and he was only 27 at the end of that year. I would say Heskey became has become overrated because he had been so underrated. Same way Jordan Henderson has become overrated because at a point he was underrated. Lucas Leiva the same. Um, but yeah, that would be my team. Um, I think I saw one more. If you could put all your funds into one player, who would it be? Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland. I, I just think he's going to guarantee you 40 goals a season for a decade. I, I would go Erling Haaland, being honest. Um, Hernas East, who is the GOAT for each of these sports? And which individual progressed their sport the most, which has had the least impact? Okay, uh, football, I think Maradona. Basketball is Jordan. American football, it has to be Brady, doesn't it? Like seven Super Bowls. Uh, tennis, I think Bjorn Borg is the greatest tennis player of all time. But because he retired early, and obviously Federer and Nadal and, and Djokovic have just dominated the sport... I think you have to go with Federer. Even though Nadal has either the same or one more Grand Slams, most of his were won on clay, whereas Federer has won a bunch at three and then I think one French. Um, Djokovic has done the same, like a bunch at Wimbledon, a bunch in Australia, a bunch in America, and one in France. I think they're more rounded than Nadal. Um, I would say Federer... But I think Bjorn Borg is the greatest tennis player of all time, personally. Um, cricket, I I haven't a clue. Sachin Tendulkar, I don't. I cricket's not my sport. Sorry, um, but I, I I remember watching Sachin Tendulkar and I remember watching Brian Lara. And was it three hundred plus runs he hit in an innings once? And I remember watching it on Channel Four. And it was just incredible to watch him play. But I don't know who the greatest player of all time is. Apologies. Um, hockey is Wayne Gretzky, without question. Baseball. I mean, it, baseball's hard because so many of the records were broken by people who cheated. Like Barry Bonds, pre-steroids was probably on track to become the greatest player of all time, took a bunch of steroids and sort of just ruined his legacy. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. is the best player I've seen. But, you know, a lot of people will say Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, obviously. Mickey Mantle, if he hadn't blown out his knee. Joe DiMaggio. I, Griffey's the best player I've seen. And if you look at what he did for the city of Seattle, he had an incredible impact. Um, and he, he would have broken all the records, if not for injuries. Ken Griffey Jr. would have broken all the records if he hadn't got hurt. He ended his career on 630 home runs. Now, Barry Bonds holds the record, and I believe it's 750, 762. Um, but Griffey, if you look at his career, 
from when he went to Cincinnati, the injury problems he had with the Reds were ridiculous. He was just hurt all the time. He tore his hamstring completely off the bone uh, in 2004, but he'd had injuries before that as well. Griffey, for me, Griffey would have smashed all the home run records if he hadn't gotten hurt. Um, rugby. Uh, rugby's hard because rugby has changed so much and it's impossible to compare a back to a forward. Like, I would still say Sean Fitzpatrick is worth um, strong consideration. Zinzan Brook would be worth strong consideration. But, I mean, those guys played in the 80s and 90s. Christian Cullen would be worth a mention. But I think you have to go Daniel Carter. I'd go Daniel Carter. Um, he, just ridiculously gifted. Ridiculous. Bowden Barrett's going to make a real case for it, though. Um, golf. Tiger, probably is probably the greatest player ever. He may not have won the most, but what he did in that period of time, unmatched. Uh, who progressed their individual sport the most? I would say, of those mentioned, Gretzky. Gretzky made hockey mainstream. I would say Gretzky. Uh, and who the least... Uh, I don't know. Um... I genuinely don't know cricket, maybe, because, well, is cricket, cricket's probably bigger than ice hockey at this point. Probably has always been because it's, you know, more played more worldwide. I genuinely don't know. I don't know who's had the least impact. I would say Gretzky had the most impact because Jordan's impact came after Magic and Larry Bird had already sort of helped the NBA explode. Football was already massive before Maradona. Um, I don't think Brady's... I don't think an American football player can have that kind of impact uh, just because of how it's marketed. Tennis was massive when it was Agassi, Sampras, uh, and Jim Courier. So I, I don't think Federer can lay claim. I don't know what the impact on cricket will be, and I don't know who the best player ever is, so uh, apologies. Uh, with baseball, I think because it's... It's a kind of it's a one country sport. I know they play it in Japan, but Major League Baseball is one country. Apologies to the Toronto Blue Jays, but Toronto wants to be an American city anyway. Um, I would say it's impossible for a baseball player to have a massive impact because of how it's it's kind of a local TV deal. It's not really a national TV kind of sport. It's a local TV kind of sport. Um, Dan Carter, to be fair, did help rugby get... Do you know, the, the player that had the biggest impact on rugby is Jonah Lohman. So, and, and like, the player who has had the biggest impact on football is probably Pele. Basketball is Magic Johnson. American football, I would say it's more likely to be someone like Joe Namath than, than Tom Brady. Uh, tennis, I think, Borg and McEnroe. Um, again, no, no idea with cricket. Uh, baseball again. I mean, you could you could argue Babe Ruth had the biggest impact on baseball. Um, rugby is Lomo, 
and I would say in ten in in golf it probably is Tiger. Tiger's probably the answer for most impact. And of those, I would say Griffey may be the least impact on developing the sport. Uh, I think that is. I think that is it. Hang on, let me just check one more time. Um, we had that one. We had that one. We had that one. Top ten signings Liverpool never made, but should have. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll. That's. Um. Right, Kareem Benzema. That's one they should have had him signed in the the January window. They signed. Andy Carroll, they delayed the deal to get Torres out the door. Higuain got hurt. That deal fell through. Um, I would say they had a real opportunity to sign Marco Royce. They turned it down because a certain manager didn't know who he was. Um, they had an opportunity to sign Virgil van Dijk from Celtic. They didn't because the manager didn't want him. Uh, probably because the manager didn't know who he was. Um, Memphis Depay. Liverpool should have signed him. Instead, they signed Christian Benteke because the manager insisted. They had an opportunity to sign Antoine Griezmann. They didn't because the manager insisted on Adam Lallana. Uh, I could go on here. There's a whole bunch over the years. Um, Michael Ballack, they could have. They, they had the opportunity to sign him. He wasn't all that well-known. He was at Leverkusen. Uh, they signed an absolutely useless, hopeless footballer instead. Um, Nicholas Anelka, I mean, I know they had him on loan, but they, they could have kept him. But unfortunately, Julia decided to sign Juff. Uh, I'm not sure how many I've named here. Um, he didn't work out the way he was expected to work out, but they had an opportunity to sign Lucas Moura when he was uh, coming out of Brazil, and uh, they passed on that one. Um, yeah, there's, there's been a lot. There has been a lot. Um Oh, James Houghton, what managers do you think will go at the end of the season? And who do you think will be the surprise transfer of the summer? Um, Pep will stay. Ollie will stay. I think Rogers stays unless he wants the Tottenham job, which it doesn't look likely at the moment. Tuchel stays. Moyes stays. Klopp stays. God knows who gets the Spurs job. I think, unfortunately for Arsenal, Arteta will stay. Carlo stays. Bielsa stays. Dean Smith stays. It wouldn't surprise me if Nuno left. I think Hodgson definitely goes. Ralph will stay. It wouldn't surprise me if Dyche left. If Dyche fancies a bigger challenge. Uh, I think Bruce goes. Potter will stay. Fulham are silly, so Park will stay. There's a lot of rumours that Big Sam is going to stay at West Brom and try and bring them back up, uh, likely because there'll be a big bonus in it for him. And um, Sheffield United need a need a big need a new manager anyway. So, yeah, I think there's there's a few that will go. I, I genuinely do. I think there's there's at least four that aren't currently gone that could go, um, but a, a couple of them could move within you know the Premier League. Uh, surprise transfer. Don't know if I should say this. Um, just, just keep an eye on Dominic Calvert-Lewin's name coming up. 
with a club from Manchester. That's all I can say. Um, just just keep an eye on that. It may it may not happen. It may come to nothing. Everton might just not want to sell at all. But there's significant interest from a Manchester club in Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And it is believed that the interest is mutual, that the player would very much be in favour of the move. And I think that is it. That is it. That is all the questions for today. So thank you, as always, for sending them in. Um, Tony, I will do a Liverpool um, alphabet game on the podcast next. So I won't say next week, but soon, at some point, remind me and I will do it. Thanks to everybody for sending the questions. Thank you to Guy, as always. Thanks for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.